So the net amount that we would spend per month is around 1750 You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 258 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. The choice of apps can be overwhelming. Ellie Garrett is a self-proclaimed cloud enthusiast and has won a long list of accounting and excellence awards, especially around cloud integrations. So let's ask Ellie Garrett how she designed her text stack. talk about your tech stack you already touched on fyi docs how long ago i think it's six or seven months ago that you changed from suite files to fyi docs is that right no we actually deferred the startup to fyi docs because we wanted to do it right we've okay. actually just gone live one july so we are still fresh as babies on that product <laughs> oh, okay. yeah but it is actually going well we've already seen some benefits just in the email filing and the way that you can search and the automations and the workflow it's it's certainly delivering what they've said it's going to so it's a steep learning curve but at the moment you are yeah the, yeah life and kicking And I, but I think the thing with tech is the people that work with us are pretty tech savvy. So we don't really have the pain points that most people do. Like we are pretty nimble and flexible. So we'll, we'll get on top of FYR docs in a month or two and, you know, it'll be like we've always had it. So it's not in a very small organization. It's not hard to move software providers. So running through your tech stack, and I apologize, I've been stalking you and I already have a mm. snapshot of your tech stack, but it might no longer be up to date. So yep. correct me where I'm wrong. Everything centers around zero and zero XPM. That's yep, true your, blue. Yeah. That's kind of your mothership. Yep. Then you have Receipt Bank. Have you had many clients changing to HubDoc? No, we gave them the option. Most of our clients that use it are very high volume transactional, needed some the extra bits and pieces that HubDoc didn't have yet. So in saying that they haven't moved, but may if HubDoc kind of gets to the same point as Receipt Bank, all the new clients, all the kind of small, medium ones that don't really need a Receipt Bank, we have moved to HubDoc. So we're kind of doing a bit of a two-pronged strategy. And when we do training, we do training on both. What are the one or two big features that Receipt Bank has that HubDoc doesn't have? I think in the early days with HubDoc, we were struggling to get the information in um, and it didn't have the same optical recognition capability at that point in time. But I think that's the AI behind it. So it should get up there pretty quick. It was also the multiple scanning of pages and documents. Yeah, I think it was those in the first instance that I was one of the major reasons why we stayed with, with Receipt Bank. Then you have practice ignition for engagements and recurring payments. I think you looked at Go Proposal, but then decided practice ignition. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. And that's still working well for still you? Still working well. Yeah, I, honestly, I'm not going to move away from that product. It's been bloody fantastic. Then you have Integrab Pay for ad hoc payments. So the recurring payments run through practice ignition and yeah. the ad hoc payments run through Integra that's Pay. Right. And I think you chose Integra Pay because it covers BPay, credit cards and direct debits. Absolutely. You're right. Spot on. Good research. I like it that you don't pass on credit card. No. Do you know that it goes back to my motivation of getting paid? payment as quickly as possible. I want to make it as quick and pain-free as possible. And that's proven to be true. We don't have people delaying payment 
it, it's yeah. pretty much bang spot on. And I think it removes another pain point. For example, when you do a recurring payment of thousand dollars, and then the the charge is actually thousand dollars and two. No, no. And then you actually got to reconcile that back in your system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I, as the client, would be thinking, really, I'm paying you thousand dollars. Yeah. And you can't cover the two dollar credit card fee. That's right. So I think it's a very good decision, and it um, removes the risk of looking stingy. I find whacking the credit card fees on there always feels very stingy. So Absolutely. I, I applaud you for not doing yeah. that. Yeah. It's not the client's choice of how they pay, it's ours. And so if we're putting forward options, we should be the ones to take that. And look, to be honest, if, you know, we don't run on an overdraft, but in my prior firms, I would always think to myself, well, if the client isn't going to pay for a few more days and it's sitting on the overdraft and you're paying interest, like <laughs> yes. you're willing to do that, but you're not willing to take the credit card fee like it would just it didn't make sense to me I thought it was really short-sighted and it didn't improve the client relationships at all yes good point fee funding can you tell me what fee funding is about and do you still do it through a different app we use smart AR and that allows we can put that on our zero invoices so they can clients can click in and kind of create their own funding repayment schedule so funding is for those clients and look in the tourism and hospitality space it most probably is a bit more prevalent if they can't pay on time I don't want to be holding their debt um so I'm pushing it to another provider who basically funds that debt so that we once they make their first repayment we get the full amount and then the client then deals with them smart smart AR to then make all of those repayments if the client falls over, then the remaining debt comes back to us, but at least we've got payment pretty much straight away. And who signs up with Smart AR? Because if it's the client, and of course, Smart AR would charge a fee. So why would the client sign up with Smart AR rather than just delaying payment to you? Because I don't give them the option. <laughs> to delay payment. I see. So does every client need to sign up with Smart AR? No, or just only the, the ones, ones that can't you're... pay on time. Only the ones that can't pay on time uh, or want to. So we give them two choices. If they want to pay their fee over 12 months, that's fine. We'll put them on PI. But if we're charging, if it's a compliance job that we've charged at the end of the job and they don't have the money to pay, something's happened, then we'll put them onto um, that fee funding model. And so Smart AI get their money from the interest on that yes. um, repayment plan. Yes. We don't and cover do you, that interest. And do you put them on Smart AR before you do the work or after you do the work and they can't pay? After they do the work and they can't pay. But once you've done the work, haven't you lost your leverage? In terms of the, uh, no, because I find look, this is this comes back to communication. If you are an open communicator, I believe you can communicate your way through anything. If we've done the work, we still haven't lodged it. <laughs> so it's just I'm really open with my clients, and they like they just they kind of fall in line. It's what they do. So you you don't lodge until you have payment. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And then that gives you the uh, leverage to get them onto smart AR. Yeah. Now, But I'm also pretty sense. open with them about it. And I also know if a client, like I've already had conversations with them around cash flow, so I kind of know who's going to go on it. And look, there's very few. It's just I didn't want to have those very few sitting on my aged debtors. Completely understand. Then you're on Office 365 or yep. Office 360. And then hence you are on Teams, hence FYI yeah. Docs. Makes yep. 
sense because you have to be on Microsoft to use FI Docs. That's right. You've got to have your OneDrive, yeah. You tried Sweet Files and Box before. Why didn't Sweet Files and Box didn't work for you and FYI Files or Docs yeah. might work for you? So FYI Docs has that added um, workflow kind of automation, which those other two products don't. Sweet Files, when we started up and look, there has been some massive improvements in that product since we kind of dropped them, but we were looking for like a client portal, a place that we could securely share correspondence um, because we don't obviously do that via email because it's not secure. So that's what we were looking for. And at the time, um, the client portal or links just weren't available. And I know that they've upgraded since. I haven't used the product since, so I can't tell you now. So that's why we moved then to a box system. But that was just purely for really filing and it just didn't give me what I needed in relation to email filing and relation to um, workflows. So Box is basically just like Google Drive or OneDrive. Yeah. It's basically just document storage, but not document management. That's correct. Purely document storage, storage. with a pretty good ability to share information with the clients securely. You know, XPM allows some work. It's not where it needs to be from a workflow perspective with what okay. we needed. So it might be good for your job tasks, but it's not good for the ad hoc things that need to be done. So we actually do use a product called Asana for our transactional tasks and processes because, as I said before, it's, it's literally line by line what needs to happen per client every day. But that didn't work for us for a compliance point of view and so an XPM wasn't enough. So FYI Docs is kind of the winner where it can do all of those workflow automation tasks. So from an email, I can create a task for one of my team and it, and it gives the the ability for everybody in that team to see where we're at. And it also has some great functionality about around um, recording of file notes and phones. And it just gives everybody oversight over every single client matter rather than it sitting with one person. And the other products just don't do that. Account kit, you use account kit for Division 7A and inter-entity reconciliations, yeah. et cetera? Yeah, amortization, loan repay, like loan schedules, um, group structures, professional development register <laughs> so account kit we actually took on really early on to be honest I think it's an under utilized product in the market for accountants if they actually if accountants actually fully understood what it does it is a powerful tool so what how I explain it is you know a senior accountant is pretty good at these large groups getting all the intentionally loans to reconcile what this does is allow a junior to do that it takes away all of the difficulties and alignment of loans between entities. And when you've got large groups, you know, of three or more or five, you know, we've got some up to 10 to 15, it's a difficult and arduous task. And what the intergency loan rec does is literally take that back to the most common denominator and the tech does all the grunt work. And also the Div 7A, like, yes, you can get the ATO calculator, but what this does is it actually applies the correct interest days based upon repayments happening during the period. It's a really easy document to then review and sign off on. Um, yeah, they, you know, Account Kit was built by an accountant and you can definitely see that. It's, it's a really great tool if you're doing a lot of compliance work on mid to large groups. Is it an Australian product? Or yeah, US? it is based out of Adelaide. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Go Adelaide. I know. Paul Murray uh, is the uh, founder and he actually has his own business called Murray Business Solutions. So he's in the game and, look, he's a great bloke and we get along well with them. So uh, that helps. <laughs> yes. HR management, you use Employment Hero? And yes, I think you right. used a free version until recently and you, you now have upgraded to a paid version. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even know they had a free version. So that's... Um, yeah, it's, it's limited capabilities. So I think you can do... Some, it holds some of the employee data and um, allows you to do approvals of um, leave and with a couple of templates here and there. But we really did want around the HR side to make sure that we were kind of going best practice. So that's why we've moved up to that paid version. And obviously with more people that you get on board as well. And then SMSF, you're on BGL. I think Lee was on class before she that's moved right. over and you're on BGL, both with Simple Fund and also yeah. CAS. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, and then of course CAS integrates with Zero. So you only Oh, and you know, the power of CAS, I remember using that as a desktop product and to see the capabilities it has now. Like when you set up a new company, we use ACIS for our new companies. When you set that up and you connect it to CAS 360 with XPM, it blows my mind every time the flow of information, not having to reprocess something once there's so much power in it. And um, it keeps you like with corporate compliance, you've got to be on top of it. Otherwise it can cost you a lot of money. And um, it, it's just a magnificent system and I'm super pleased with it. And the, and once again, the guys from BGL, Ron and Dana are absolutely amazing and um, are fantastic people. So it's easy to work with them. Do you do the SMSF work in-house or do you have you outsourced that? It is in-house. Lee has a specialisation in that. So Lee's got a Master's of Tax, has done super funds, predominant amount of her career. So she's well-versed on that. I'm very lucky in that sense that uh, I do have that skill set in-house. But in saying that, if she didn't want to do them anymore, I would look to an outsourcing model potentially. But it's impressive to move from class to BGL. The the two softwares are quite different. So mm. changing from one to the other is, is well. The, the story the story here goes: she was actually with BGL first, and then she moved to class because the BGL live product was crap back then. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then they they realised and made it better. Yes. And um, the story goes that she met Daniel Tramontana at uh, an event, and he apologised to her for the lackluster performance. Yes, yeah. I think she said to him, you damaged me with your product. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and look, it's all redeemed now. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> and then last but not least, you have Practice Protect, which you actually already had before you started working with TOA. So, right. of course, you can't work with TOA without having Practice Protect, but mm. you already had it before anyway. Yeah. We saw going fully cloud-based, we needed our clients to feel comfortable with that and the security behind that. So that's why we went Practice Protect straight off mm. the bat. It also helps to um, get a little bit of a discount on your insurances as well. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. Are there any other apps that I didn't touch on? I mentioned Asana. We've got Spotlight. We do use Spotlight oh, for yes, that's right. yeah, some of our cash flow forecasting for our clients. And Data Deer is another product we use um, if some of the Uh, cloud tools don't connect properly. We'll use like a data deer, very similar to, I think, a Zapier or something like that. Do you have any idea how much you spend per month on Yes. So obviously we on charge all of our zero ledgers. So the net amount that we would spend per month is around 1750 
I think it's pretty standard practice that the yes. client owns their Zero subscription because then they're also in control. So everything else apart from Zero and Zero XPM, you pay about seventeen fifty. Yeah, but just remember we're a smaller firm, so you know a lot of these things you have to pay either per number or per employee or per client. So for our size firm, that's what we're paying. I have a feeling for a lot of apps, the standard fee is kind of hundred dollars a month. Yeah, it's around about that. I mean, some of the um, bigger ones that that uh, provide a lot more value are, are a bit dearer than that. You would be yeah. on a more expensive subscription with Practice Ignition, for example. Yeah, that's your, correct. Your practice right. is a lot bigger than the than the small plan. Correct. That's right. Welcome back. So Ellie's practice manages an $800,000 fee volume with a capacity for 1 million with six team members, including herself. That is very lean. If you think back to Ed Chen's episodes last year, Ed recommends running a $1 million fee volume with a team of nine. The partner who just liaises with clients, a client manager supported by an assistant, and then six grinders of which one is the production manager and one just does bookkeeping. So that is a team of nine for a $1 million fee volume. Ellie manages the same with six people and fills in the gaps with tech. But the tech just cost her $1,750 per month, so roughly $20,000 per year. So she replaces three team members with a $20,000 tech stack. That is a very good return on investment, even if you assume that those three team members she doesn't have would have been sourced overseas. After the interview, I ask Ellie about the amazing buy-in she gets from her team. You must do something very right when it comes to people management, because I listened to an interview with Lee, I think it was Heather Smith and Lee on yeah. Cloud Stories. And for a very long time, I thought Lee was the founder because she had such a drive and identity yeah. with, with All In. And yeah. I think that's great credit to you as well, that you are able to get such a buy-in from your team. And, you know, I think that the biggest thing, and I mentioned it on my Accountants on Purpose podcast, that my biggest joy is actually lifting others up, you know, especially with Lee and also with, to be honest, all of my team, I, they all have something really special. And my task is to find what that is and make that dream happen. And Lee has always loved the tech stack and is incredibly talented with her tax structuring and that's the stuff that she loves so that's what I allow her to do you know when we set up it was literally like okay well what do you want to do and and I work around that I I resource around my people um, to make sure that they're doing the things that they love doing and a lot of it is personality too sometimes you just click with people but you know uh, that's why if I'm happy for Lee to kind of take the lead wherever she wants to. It just makes us more powerful and gives a better client experience because, you know, when you're happy with what you do, that's what you do. And and this is the thing, it's never all about me. It's never about me. It's about the team and what we can do for our clients. And we do it because we love it and we're passionate about it. And I think that's most probably what resonates. But, you know, we also... Lee has an enormous amount of flexibility and, and so do the other guys in relation to 
you know, workspaces and environments and what they can do. And I think that that's most probably what a lot of people are looking for now. And I know that because I'm a mum of three, um, I have to live a very flexible lifestyle. So, you know, allowing people to be who they are and be themselves and to lift them up with what they're passionate about, it, it's, it's easy that it, they get very, very sticky. Welcome back. In the next episode, episode 259, Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Sydney will talk about the Eichmann case. When is an asset, an active asset for the small business CGT concessions? Thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for the support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>